Lord, the ones who are blinded did not know they were blind. They constantly said, we can see. And so, Father, I pray for for the eyes of this heart, of me, that I, I would not constantly be saying, I can see, I can see, I'm in the light. But Lord, let your word teach me today. I need it. We, each one of us, needs it. And so I I really pray for help today, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts that we will see you and glorify your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So hey, we want to know where we've been. We teach, you know, verse by verse through a passage. And what we want to do is really teach verse by verse in such a way that uh, we get the we get where the, like the idea is going. So what we see here in 1 John, what we have been seeing is that there were people who were within the church, who had left the church. They had established another place, and they were teaching stuff that did not line up with the word of God. If you look down at chapter 2 and verse, verse 19, uh, we'll get to this verse in just a couple of weeks. But you'll see what John continually is up against in these religious opponents, these people who say, these people who are talking about their faith, but they don't have a real faith. Verse 19, it says, hey, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out. All right, so he's talking about a people who used to be with with the gathered believers. They started believing stuff which was not true, and they left. Now, we're on today the second test that John is giving the people who had remained to try to calm them and encourage them that they were in Jesus Christ, right? This whole, all of 1 John is written so that we can have an assurance so that we, as we learned last week and the week prior, that we can know that we know Jesus Christ, That's why he wrote 1 John. And he gives us three tests that we can apply to our own hearts. The first one we looked at a couple weeks ago. Well, you have to walk in the light. You come by faith to Jesus, and then you got to walk in the light. If you aren't walking in the light, then you haven't come to Jesus. And you can't just walk in the light and not come to Jesus. You have to come to Jesus and then walk with him. Okay, so again, he continues to emphasize it's all about Jesus, as we've already been talking about this morning. And then he says, test number one, are you walking in the light? Well, today we're going to look at test number two. Test number two is, are you loving your brother? Do you love other believers? And just so you know, uh, we're also going to look in the next couple weeks at test number three, which we'll come to. I think Gary will have that message. And test number three is this, do you love the world? Because if you love the world, if you hate your brother, if you will not walk in the light, then that is a sure sign to your heart and to my heart that you have not entered a loving relationship with Jesus and you're not in Christ. And that's what John is incredibly focused on all throughout 1 John. He wants to provide not a false sense of security, but a sense of security that's based on faith in Jesus, and then just look at your life. Are you walking in the light? Are you loving your brother? Do you love the world? 
And as you answer these questions, we can have this assurance, because that's what John wants to deal with, an assurance in our heart. With all that said, uh, let's turn to what John is saying today. Verse 7, he's writing to this, again, this, this beloved but timid group who are grappling with issues because some have gone out from them. And he says to them, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment. Now, if, if you're like me, you look back and you look forth and you didn't find a commandment. What commandment is he talking about here? He does not say what the commandment is. But if we look down at verses uh, 9 and 10 and 11, we can get a clue for what the commandment might be about. There are some who hate their brothers. And this commandment is about hating your brother. And he says in verse 9, whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. And then we can look down further at verse 10, and it says, well, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And so we're getting a better clue. Maybe this commandment is about loving your brother. Look over at chapter uh, number 3, because John often restates what he's saying. And so if we just keep reading the letter, we can kind of get a sense of what this commandment's all about. John chapter 3, verse 10 says, By this it is evident who are the children of God. Again, he's, he's all about assurance. He wants them to know if they are the children of God. We can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That's that's a good, good clue, isn't it? That's what he's talking. This command has to do with loving each other. And I just went ahead and turned back to a former writing of John. So in John chapter 13, if you want to go there, you can kind of see up on the screen, John 13, 33 through 35, where John is using, he in 1 John uses the same language that Jesus used in John 13, verse 33. Little children, Jesus is talking here. Yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Verse 34, here it is. This is the commandment he's talking about. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So guys, this is the commandment on the table today for you and for me. Do we have love for one another? In what way are we displaying love for each other? It's incredibly important. We can't just kind of roll our eyes back and say, well, in general, we, we, we love each other. Because John is saying, we've got we've to take this commandment seriously. This is a, a statement to our own hearts that either brings assurance or doubt about our salvation, the way we are loving each other. So the commandment is to love as Jesus loved. And in John chapter 13, 
Jesus says these words to his disciples just after he has washed their feet. So I want you to think about that moment where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Because what I want to do is answer the question, well, how did Jesus love? Because that answers the question how we should love each other, right? And so uh, as I think about that, the whole scene, all right, I want you to think about that. Uh, it's after supper, and, and John is, uh, Jesus is facing death. He knows that he's just hours away from the cross. He has his disciples gathered with him. We're going to talk about that as we go. Here he is, and he, he washes their feet. So here's my question. In what way does that act of love and that example teach you and I how to love each other? Number one, I'm going to say seven things. It's all under number one here. What is this commandment, love your brother, all about? Seven things. Ready? Number one, that Jesus reserved his first and best love for his own. You see that? He did not wash the feet of thousands. He washed the feet of 12, his disciples. And guys, God is calling you and I to reserve our best acts of love and sacrifice for the body of believers. That's reiterated in Galatians. Do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. You and I are called to this kind of love where we, we aim our best gifts and our best sacrifices at people who are walking with us in Jesus Christ. So the first thing we see is how does he love? Well, the first thing, he aimed his love at his nearest followers, at, at those following him. Second thing I want us to see about this event, this foot washing, it was unnecessary. He did not have to wash their feet. You know that? He, there's nothing that said, you know, after dinner, the feet must be washed, and it must it certainly not, didn't need to be Jesus who did it. And, and so our loving acts towards one another in the fellowship of believers are almost always unnecessary. Here's the danger in that. You can talk yourself out of giving unnecessary love. It's real easy to do it. Bible doesn't say I have. True. Didn't say Jesus had to wash feet. Husbands, you, uh, you and I, we're notorious at this. I, it's unnecessary. I, I told her on the wedding day I love her. What's really required of me after that? Is this really required of me? Well, listen, Jesus loved with this over-the-top, more than required, unexpected kind of love. Do you? A couple of things I jotted down under this is, is uh, a phone call to a hurting friend in their hour of difficulty. A sleepless night where you're awake and praying for that friend and later in the morning you text them and just say, look, man, I've been praying for you. I don't know everything going on in your life, but you're on my heart. I wasn't sleeping last night. I'm praying for you. Showing up at somebody's house. You know, it's so easy for us in the church, especially to say, you know, if you need anything, give me, give me a call. Give me a call. And look, I'm not saying this, but I'm telling you what John would call that. 
if I did that and said, look, if you need anything, give me a call. John calls that hate. It's unexpressed love. I didn't do anything. It was just words. I'm in the dark. And so in this passage, if we're going to love like Jesus loved, we're just going to take initiative for one another toward the glory of God and do unexpected things for one another. Does that describe you? Listen, I have to tell you, preparing for this this week, I was in tears more than once. There are so many times when that does not describe me. For sure. But Jesus washed their feet. Note what I, something I want to say here, these unnecessary acts of love, it doesn't enable sin. If you've got a kid in your life or somebody in your life and you're saying, well, does that mean I should always just do all these unnecessary things? No, that's not what this is talking about. Jesus didn't just, just uh, go to the disciples and say, guys, what do you want me to do that would be really cool and really uh, memorable? He, did, he didn't do that. Not at all. He planned out something he was going to give them in that moment that would stick with them for the rest of their lives. And it was an example to them of how they should love each other. If you're not displaying unnecessary acts, if I am not displaying unnecessary acts of love, I've got to be careful. I may not be displaying love at all. I may be displaying hate. So first, it was reserved for his own. It was unnecessary. Thirdly, it included Judas. Judas. You see that? That this act of love, of foot washing, included his enemy who was in the church, who was in the disciples' group. Oh, man. Here Judas is, and can you imagine Jesus getting up and putting on that towel and going from person to person and coming to Judas and knowing that the feet that he was washing were going to almost immediately run out from that place and go look and get money, and he was going to betray him. And yet Jesus served Judas. The person who has hurt you the most is probably in church. Probably somebody, maybe somebody sitting in this room with you. Don't look around. But man, we can hurt each other, can't we? In your hardest moment, God will call you to serve with love the person who has hurt you the most. And here's the question. You can answer the bell? If we're going to love like Jesus loved, and he specifically in John 13 has said, do this. He has just washed Judas' feet. And he wants you to wash the feet of the one who's hurt you. Jesus' closest friends did not know it was Judas who would betray him. Here's my point there is to say Jesus knew how hurtful Judas was going to be to him, and he wasn't talking to Peter and James and John about it. Finally, at the dinner time, when it was time to dip the bread, Judas himself, they were all still asking, Who is it, Lord? Because, because Jesus wasn't talking about Judas to everybody, anybody who would listen. He wasn't. He was keeping that thing inside. He was keeping that inside to show love to Judas. Love withheld, and this is something, again, very convicting to me, love withheld from somebody who has hurt me is hate, according to John. It's hate. So that's three. Number four. 
the scene of the foot washing was a humiliation to Jesus. He was absolutely humiliated. How low would he go? Well, the washing of the feet was about as low as you could get. In fact, uh, there was all of these discussions in the day, and uh, the end of the, the, the common opinion was to say, look, when we have Jewish people who are servants to us, let's not make them wash our feet. That is, that's too low for a Jewish person to go. So if you have a Gentile servant, if you have a Gentile servant, they can wash your feet. But let's not even make our Jewish servants wash our feet. And here Jesus is taking the towel out, getting down before each of them and saying, I'll go lower than that. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he took on him the form of a slave. He embraced that. Do you have, you have some lines drawn in your life right now to say, look, I'll, I could go to here, but I, I, I can't do that. I'm not going that low. I'm not going to humble myself that, that far. Well, in the church, if we're going to have the kind of love that Jesus had, guys, my, we're going to humble ourselves. We're going to go lower. We're going we're to give from the absolute overflow of what Christ has given to us to that one who, who is in need. And we're going to go and keep going and keep loving. Jesus didn't do anything and everything for them, but later he did say this, if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet like this, then you should serve each other in the same way. Uh, fifthly, the foot washing happened hours before he was abandoned by everyone. Nobody stayed with Jesus. He was all alone. Have you ever been abandoned? I mean, your closest friend not there, missing in action. You feel all alone because all 12 of those disciples scattered when the Roman soldiers came. And Jesus knew they were going to scatter. And here he was sitting before them, washing their feet. Love is not only something to be displayed when we are happy or when your future looks bright. You know, it's easy to display love when your future looks bright. It's hard when you're hurting. It's hard when you're feeling alone. Do you withhold love because you are afraid of what could come? Do you withhold love because you're afraid of what could come at the hands of that person that God's calling you to love? Listen, in the church, we need to love one another like Jesus has loved his disciples. He is our example. If everyone abandons you, my friends, the love of Jesus Christ can still flow through you, can still come through. You can still keep displaying it though you display it all by yourself. Number six, the foot washing happened when he knew his death was near. Jesus knew he had hours to live. Hours, think of that. I don't know what's on your bucket list. Nikki and I watched a sweet video this week of this family, and they, he sold his dot-com business or whatever, and, and he's traveling all around the world, and and, you know, they're living simple, and, but they're seeing, you know, all these countries, and they're traveling. I think that's great. I don't know what's on your bucket list. I don't know if it's skydiving. I don't know if it's, you know, a Rocky Mountain climbing. I don't know if it's riding 3.8 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. That's a song for those of you. 
some country song. But here's Jesus' bucket list. 16 hours to live, 18 hours to live. Here's what's on his heart. I've got to give my disciples an example of love to follow. Check. He did it. Now, he didn't do it to make a Facebook post about it. He did not have his camera ready to take the selfie. Here I am, washing their feet. Click. Here's the last supper. Click. Look at that. Have you ever seen a Jewish, you know, uh, the, the past? it's not a very exciting picture. I would just say that. Uh, a lot of bland-looking stuff on the, on the plate. But Jesus didn't take a selfie. He was not pulling this number. Okay, well, someone's got to do it. I guess I'll do it. He didn't pull that. He purposely, gladly had an appointment of specific reasoning in his own heart, knowing that that night was not going to get away from him and that he was going to display a love for his disciples that would be etched in their mind and that we would talk about in February 2017. He gave them an example to follow, and it's an example to follow to this day. And that was his bucket list. Not with a martyr complex, not trying to get a, a great last selfie, but just displaying consistent love to his disciples. Knowing his death was near, Jesus left them this example. And finally, seventh thing we learn about Jesus' love in this foot washing, that he It showed Jesus' absolute resolve to do God's will, no matter what. That's the best way you can love people in this church. Did you know that? The best way that you can show love is consistently walking with the Lord, no matter what's happening around you. I'm mistreated. I have an expectation that wasn't met. I'm upset about something. I'll give money if they spend it the way that I think they should spend it. I've got all these mindsets and all these things that I think I can control. And Jesus is just saying, look, here's just, just give your obedience to God and display your love for God and let the people in your world be the beneficiaries of your obedience. Husbands, Can I just tell you, if your wife is really struggling and you see this sin pattern in in her life and she's really angry or she's really isolated or she's really bitter about something, that is not my excuse or your excuse to be disobedient to. It's not. You say, well, she behaved that way, so I'll behave this way. No. Jesus is saying, look, these people are about to abandon me. They're about to go their own way. While they abandon me and go their own way, while my friends leave me, he, Jesus, he's staying committed to do the will of God. Are you? Wives, your husbands don't have a clue of what's going on in your heart, and you feel so alone, and you feel so isolated, and they're going their, their kind of their own way. It's not an excuse for you to misbehave too. That's not love. You're a person in Iwana that oversees you, didn't see the sacrifice you made, and they made an off-the-cuff comment, and it's, you know what? Keep serving faithfully, kindly, compassionately, consistently in your life. Jesus 
Jesus showed his absolute resolve to do God's will. Parents, you have adult kids who are away from the Lord? You know what they need more than you? It's not money. Though that might be on the list. It is not lecture 601. They've heard it. You could just say, hey guys, lecture 601. They'll do the lecture for you. You don't have to do it. Not again. You know what they need from you? A consistent, joyful obedience to the Lord that is not moved one bit by their mocking. It is not moved one bit by their doubt. It is not moved one bit by their lifestyle. You remain faithful to the Lord when they are away from the Lord. That is the best way for you to show love to your your kids. And incidentally, that's not just your adult kids. That's your kids at home too. You remain joyful in the Lord when they are away from the Lord. Jesus showed an absolute resolve to do God's will. Give this gift to your spouse. Give this gift of love to your children. Will it be hard? You know what? Jesus went out later that night. He sweat blood. I don't know medically how that's possible. But the answer to the question, will this be hard? Yeah, it's going to be hard. It is going to be hard to remain faithful and to love the way that Jesus loves. But that's what we're called to do in the church. So that's the commandment. All of that to say, that is the commandment that God's called you to and that God's called me to. He wants us to love like that. So as we look now back in 1 John, in chapter uh, 2, verse 7, he he says to them, Beloved, you know, I'm writing this to you, that you show this kind of love for one another. This is not new. This is no new commandment. It's an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. And so the question then is, well, in what way is this commandment old? And I think there's two reasons why this commandment is old. First of all, it's old because it's from the Older Testament. This idea of love your neighbor is not something new that that Jesus instituted for the first time when he said, I give you a new commandment. For instance, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18 says, uh, we should love our neighbor as ourself. From the very beginning, it's always been God's idea that you love others with a, sacrifice, with a sacrificial heart. It's not a new idea that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart. It's an old idea that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, right? So in one respect, uh, this message about loving each other is an old commandment. And uh, so that's one way it's old. The other way it's old is that it's something that the church that he's writing to had had from the first time they had heard anything about God. He's writing to churches in Ephesus. And long story short, they have had the the gospel. They have had the teachings of Jesus probably for about 50 or 60 years, about as long as this church has had the teachings of Jesus, interestingly. So this church has been here 60, 68 years, whatever. But so, you know, it's it's a similar amount of time. And, and so when you think about that, uh, what he's writing here is that this message has not changed from the beginning. You, you've always heard uh, this, this new commandment, even when, when it was new and we were saying Jesus just told us it. It, it, was, it accompanied the gospel from the, from the get-go. From the first time you heard the teaching of the word, Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The beginning of what? The old commandment is the word that you have heard. 
So as John has been teaching this from the beginning, this is an old, this is nothing new. He, in essence, wants to say to them, look, if, if you've, uh, you, you keep hearing now that we're, we're telling you that you have to love your brother, that's not a new thing. That's an old thing. We've been saying that from the beginning. And again, what I imagine happening here is these false prophets are saying, oh, now he's telling you you've got to love your brother too. I'm telling you, you don't, have to, you don't have to walk in the light. You don't have to love your brother. You don't have to worry about, you know, you can go ahead and love the world. Live how you want as long as you believe that Jesus came and died and rose again. As long as you believe that, you're good. And John is saying, no, that's not true. There are no conditions on the gospel, but there are requirements in the gospel. And if you have been born of Jesus Christ, then you must walk in the light. And you must love your brother. And that's not new. That's old. In what way is the gospel new? Or excuse me, is this commandment new? And I think that's a good question. In verse 8, it says, At the same time, this is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So there is a way in which this is a a new commandment, and John wants them to see that. Jesus has indeed recently shown them this act of love, and he is in a special way emphasizing that they need to walk in love toward one another. Jesus did just say that. And so this old, the, the old has given birth to this new. And so what I, what I don't want you to see is that there is an old command, and now this new command has replaced the old command. It's almost never that way in the Scriptures. It's not that way with the Old Testament and New Testament either. I want you to really understand that. We are not New Testament Christians who emphasize only the New Testament. Do you know that? Because... Because the Old Testament has given birth to the New Testament, and now the Old and New Testament live together. And that's the concept he wants us to see with this this old and new. It's not that we have an old that we forget about and a new that we embrace, right? It's that the old has given birth to the new, and now we have these these commandments that, that hold together. And so that's what he wants them to see here. This is a new commandment, and it's living alongside this old commandment. So it's continuously in force. And look at the reason why he emphasizes it. Again, now back in verse 8. At the same time, this is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. It's true in him, in Jesus. So as Jesus obeyed the love command, light was produced. And as we obey the commandment, light is produced. And there's this newness, and it's because the light is already shining. Guys, uh, in the morning, you can probably have your morning routine. One of my morning routines is, as often as I can, I like to get up and run. I love running January 1st through uh, the, the time change. And the reason I love to run in the morning those days is because the morning, my morning starts about sunrise. And so I'm often out there, and uh, if it's a clear day, you can see the sunrise. And one of my favorite things in the world is running along the lake, and that moment when the light has begun to shine, and you you can see it's going to be a beautiful day, but that moment when the sun comes up and the first ray of light hits me. 
And I go, oh, man. Oh, man, God's been faithful again. This, this rock I'm running on, it turned a little bit more. It's revealing a little bit more of the light. That moment when the, the light shines, and you can look then at the sky, and you can look at the clouds, and you can go, okay, I can tell what kind of day this is going to be. That's exactly what he's saying here in verse 8. He's saying as Jesus has established the love commandment and now he's called all of us together as a body of believers. He's called all believers into this fulfilling the love commandment. And do you see how he describes it there? He says, the darkness is passing away. Can I tell you something? Every morning when I'm running and that that first ray of light goes there, I don't worry about the darkness. I don't even think about the darkness. The darkness is passive. The darkness of this world can do nothing to resist the light. You know that? You're called to be in the light. And so as, as the commandment, the love commandment is true in Jesus and in you, we come to this moment where the light is shining and there is nothing that this passive darkness can do to resist because if we continue on in the verse, we see that this light, this true light, it's already shining. It's already shining. So, so here's how I see that happening, is that, is that the way we love each other, somebody walks through these doors on a Sunday morning, somebody comes into your life group, somebody comes into your ABF setting, somebody comes into your core group of friends, and they're in the darkness, and they're wondering what's going on, and based on the way you love each other, and based on the way we love each other, they're running along the, the pathway, if you will, of the lake, and a ray of light hits them. And can I tell you, there's no holding it back. There's no holding it back. That light, it's already shining. Here it comes. Guys, this has got to be true in us. We, we can't be the kinds of people who show up at 9.34, listen in on the message, go home, and aren't spending time in each other's lives. Can't, we can't be that per person. We've got to be the kinds of people that are displaying love because I'm telling you, as we love each other, they will know you are love, that you, they will know you are my disciples by the way you love each other and, and they're going to see that there's this light coming and that is going to dispel, that is going to push back this darkness and that's who we are. We are pushing back the darkness kinds of people as the light is just burgeoning over the horizon. A beautiful truth. And, and John is saying, in essence, you didn't think this was going to happen yet. Remember the time frame when John's writing this in AD 90? There's horrible emperors on the throne. There is a property being seized. Later on, he's going to write Revelation from the Isle of Patmos because if he had stayed where he wrote 1 John from, he would be dead. He had to leave. And he is saying something about this idea that the light is already shining. Because he's not afraid of the culture. He's not afraid of the politics. He's not afraid of the kings. He's not afraid of what his eyes can see. He is telling you and me what is true if we as a body of believers love each other. There is no way for the passive darkness to hold back what God is going to do in and through this fellowship. It is a powerful truth. And John is saying, look, I want you to be encouraged here. This is why I'm telling you, this is a new commandment. The, the kingdom of God is coming, and this light is burgeoning, and he is about to light up this world with your life and my life. 
Now listen, let me say one thing before we move on to the next point. That is not to say that you produce the light. You don't produce any light, and I don't either. We walk in the light. We don't produce light. We walk in the light that Jesus has provided. We, with our acts of love and kindness and sacrifice, are not actually producing any light. We're walking in the light. How does John apply this commandment really quickly? To those who hate verses 9 and 10, or excuse me, verses 9 and 11. There are those people who are saying, look, I'm going to just keep on doing what I'm going to... I'm not going to display love for my brother. Let me give you verse 9. Whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother and hates his brother is still in the darkness. What does it look like to hate? It doesn't mean that you have to, you know, take the sledgehammer to his car. That's not hate. Uh, Let's take the opposite of, of the other seven things that we saw that are love. Right? Because John is saying if we're not actively displaying love, then we're hating. If we're not walking in the light, we're walking in the dark. If we're not causing people to see clearly where they can go, we're causing them to stumble. That's the whole thing in this passage is that he uses these contrasts. And so the opposite of displaying love is hate. So here's how I can show hate in my life. I display my love. uh, I refuse to display my love first and best in the church. That would be an act of, of hate for me. I show only the kind of love that seems necessary to me. Husbands, would you listen to that again? If I show to my wife only the kind of love that seems necessary to me, I'm not displaying love. And for John, not displaying love equals hate. I will not show love to those who have or who I think will hurt me. I'm not going to show love to them. It's hate. I will show love if it does not require humiliation. Because I'll go that low, but not that low. I will show love to those who are most loving to me. And again, if this is characterizing me, as this characterizes me, I'm not showing love. I'm not displaying love. I will show love when I'm strong and healthy. Jesus displayed it hours before his death at his weakest point in his life. But sometimes I say, well, you know, I'm I'm just feeling too weak. I'm not feeling it. I got a lot going on in my life. John would say, well, if you're not actively displaying your love, you're hating. I will, uh, when others mess up and when others go their own way, I use that as an excuse to disobey the Lord too in smaller ways, ways that I think are smaller, ways that I justify in my own heart. And so that's what he's talking about in verse 9 when he says, whoever says he's in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. That word in verse 9, it says that he's, he's like constantly saying this. He just keeps saying it. You can't reason with this guy. He just keeps saying, no, I'm in the light. I'm in the light. Stop talking to me about what, I should, what should be true, the requirements of the gospel. I'm telling you, I'm in the light. And so to this kind of person, my favorite verse, excuse me, my favorite word in the verse says, whoever says in verse 9, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in the darkness. And can I just tell you, if that's you, and as I have examined my heart this week, if this is me, you don't have to stay in the dark, my friend. The call for you today is not to try harder. 
It is, it is not to put some more effort into your love. It's to realize that you are in the dark. And no amount of flurry of activities is going to get anything done. He says that specifically in verse 11. You're in the dark and you just try harder. You're just going to wander in the dark further. You can't even see you're in the dark. You can't even tell you're in the dark. You just keep bumping up against stuff. You just keep stumbling over stuff. And so the call for you today, if you're in the dark, is not to try harder, my friend. It's to come to Jesus Christ. It's to walk into the light. It's to go beyond this this test. uh, Do I love the world? Let's forget about that test for a second. Do I love the brothers? Let's forget about that test for a minute. Uh, The first test, am I walking in the light? Let's even forget about that test for a minute. Let's go all the way back to the beginning and ask the question, with all of your heart, are you trusting Jesus Christ alone and giving him full reign over every part of your life, realizing it is only he who can be the propitiation. He absorbed God's wrath against your sin. It is only he who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. It's only he. Well, these false teachers, they just keep crying out louder and louder, follow me, follow me. In fact, uh, I want to, remember last week, Gary ended with Mark 10, 28, or Mark 10, 32. And he said that Jesus, let's walk like Jesus walked. Jesus is just ahead of us. So in Mark 10, 32, we see that we are called to follow after Jesus. He's just ahead of us. But if you turn over to 2 John chapter 9, John writes three letters to these believers. And so right now he's describing these guys who are in the dark, these religious opponents, and he wants you to see some things that are true about these religious opponents. So in 2 John chapter, chapter well, there's only one chapter, 2 John verse 9, he says this, Everyone, in other words, all these false teachers, all these false teachers who go on ahead, they do not abide in the teaching of Christ. They do not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So he is in essence saying, look, last week he said, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He's just ahead of you. But these false teachers in the dark, They go on and they go out and they are just constantly moving ahead. They're constantly going where they want to go. They're constantly trying to say no to Jesus. He's got to decrease. And they're constantly saying yes to their own personal freedoms. I must increase. And they've got everything upside down. And as they progress, they are progressing in the worst ways outside of the bonds of the gospel. Guys, I'm telling you right now, we live in a world where everybody wants to redefine the gospel and, and much like these false religious opponents here, they want to make it say what they want to make it say. You can do whatever you want to do. Still call yourself Christian. And John would say, be careful that a lot of those guys are walking in the dark. They are the blind leading the blind. And so come back to keep your eyes on Jesus. He's just ahead of you. And these guys that are constantly telling you to you, you just move ahead and they're moving ahead and go where, where I go, they're, if they're just constantly saying they're okay but they are not displaying uh, a life given over to Jesus and they are in the dark and they are walking to the dark. And, and he just says those who hate are in the dark and they are stuck in the dark. What about those who love? Verse 10. How does John apply this commandment to those who love? And now we're again back in in 1 John 
chapter 3, verse 10, or excuse me, verse 11. No, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. And so if you love your brother, you are remaining in the light. You guys remember, I got all of my class, I got all of my culture as a child from Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, I mean, uh, Overture, This Is It, uh, various kinds of operas. And you remember that one with Wile E. Coyote? There was, uh, Wile E. Coyote was always trying to get the Roadrunner. And he would always, I learned about the Acme, you know, missile company. And that's my favorite company. I've been looking it up for a long time, trying to figure out where I can get Acme stuff at this point. But if you remember this moment where the, he would put up the, the, the box and he would put a stick in there and then he would put some bird seed in there and then he would tie a rope to it and he would walk way over here and he would wait for the roadrunner and the concept is that at just the right moment when roadrunner was in there, he was going to pull that stick out and catch the roadrunner, right? That stick is the exact same word for stumbling block in this verse. When you are in the light, you aren't going to trip people up. You aren't going to get them caught in a trap. You aren't, if they continue to follow after you, they're not going to get stuck. The word in, is scandalon, all right? And that stick, that stick of getting somebody put, caught in a trap is what we are if we are in the dark. We are tripping people up. And those who are walking in the light, you're not, you're not tripping people up. Loving your brother Loving your brother is, is you in the light. A reminder again, Jesus is the light, and our love does not produce light for this world. It reveals it. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. All right, conclusion. Here we go. So what? What should we do with this? Here's my encouragement to us of what we should do with it as a church. Number one, I trust that as you walk in the truth and love your brother, having entered a relationship with Jesus first, you have such an assurance, such a security in your heart. As we learned last week, you can know that you know Jesus beyond the shadow of a doubt based on the work that you're trusting in Jesus and then what it's producing in your life. There can be an assurance that comes to you and to me. And when we have an assurance in our body, we have a confidence and that's not to say that we're prideful. That's to say that we know we know Jesus and we know what he's called us to. Number two, the way we love each other can be the dawn for some runner along the lake. Or if you hate running, somebody just sitting along the lake. Our love in this place, the way you love in your life group and care group, it could be the light that a friend needs to hear about, that a friend needs to see. They will know that you are my disciples by your love. And therefore, we are teaching and proclaiming the word of God when we love like this. There's a transformation of your life and mine when we walk in these ways. So are you more loving today than you were two months ago? A year ago? Are you aiming your obedience at the people around you? purposely getting to know them, purposely giving yourself over to them. And finally, my friends, the darkness cannot win. It's passive. The darkness cannot overcome the light. You are not living in a time where it's getting darker. You are living in the time when the light will shine brightest.
as we continue to love each other day by day. This isn't an old guy thing. It's not a middle-aged thing. It's not a young guy thing. It's just a thing, right? God has called this to be the way that he is going to produce light in the world as we, as a body of believers, love each other for the glory of God. My friend, it's not dark out there. It's simply an opportunity to light things up as we faithfully proclaim Jesus together by faithfully loving each other together for his honor and his glory. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, would you help us toward this? Would you help us to be faithful to you? Lord, we want to love in a profound way, in a real way. And I pray for that one this morning who's felt like, man, I'm not loving like that. I felt like that this week. I praise you for that little word, still, because it it makes a statement to my heart that I can make a change. I can be faithful to you even when others are not. We can all be faithful to you when others are not, so help us. I pray that love is purposely displayed in this place. And that more and more all around the congregation, people are sensing warmness, not because they got the love, but because they have opportunities to give the love. And Lord, as we all have opportunities to give this love, all of us will be recipients of the love. Help us. Dismiss us with your blessing, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.